So to begin, um, I'd love to speak, I'd love to read from uh, two passages of Scripture, and I think kind of public reading of Scripture is really an important good practice to do. So it'll come up on the screen behind me, um, but if you've got a smartphone app or a Bible in front of you, open first to Mark 16. We're going to read eight verses from Mark 16, and then First Corinthians 15 we'll go to after that. So we'll start with Mark and the first eight verses of Mark, and this is Easter Sunday morning, according to the Gospel of Mark. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Shalom, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right hand, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you go to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's just take a moment just to sit with that. And then we'll read from 1 Corinthians 15. And then later in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes this I'm going to read 28 verses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. The Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. That just means his born again experience was not the same as the others because he didn't meet Christ in person. This is Paul writing. It's kind of a weird phrase, abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace to me, was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, 
if we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if he was in fact not dead and the dead are not, yet, not, are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Here ends the reading. Public reading of Scripture is really important. We could talk all week, all month, all year just about that one passage. It's Easter Sunday. Happy Easter. The title of my Easter sermon today is that the resurrection is not a happy ending. It's not a happy ending, bear with me. We have spent the last week as followers of Jesus, as those who call themselves Christians or at least curious or intrigued about this story, observing Holy Week, Palm Sunday last week, as Stephanie said, the arrival of Christ into Jerusalem. Monday and Tuesday, Jesus spends with his disciples in the temple. Wednesday, he spends again with his disciples and Mary cracks that jar of ointment on Jesus' feet. Monday, Thursday marks the time when Jesus had a supper, the last supper with his disciples. And Friday, his betrayal by Judas and his subsequent trial, beating, torture, and crucifixion by Roman authorities depicted around these walls. 12 stations of the cross. I'd encourage you, even after today, to go and engage with some of these stations and our Redeemer Kids prayers on the wall at the back as well. On Friday, we opened up this space so that we could observe what happened on Good Friday prayerfully. And then yesterday, Holy Saturday, the grief, the devastation of that, what the disciples would have been going through is Jesus' body laid in a tomb in the sheer silence and apparent absence of God's presence on that Saturday. And so here we are and we arrive today on Easter Sunday, thank God, because what one hell of a week that was, the passion of Christ. And aren't we glad that there's Easter and that there's a happy ending after all that intensity and sadness and darkness. You've heard that term, Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. You see that all over the place. I'm not going to have a go at that term as, 
at all, really, but you've heard that said. It's like a, a kind of a gleeful, hopeful, let's get through the worst parts of it because there's always Sunday on the other side, but we need to observe and walk through some of the darkest realities of our human experience before we arrive at Sunday. The story ends well, doesn't it? Jesus has been risen back to life, except that resurrection is not a happy ending. It's telling and its story come at the very end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, I give you that. But Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday today, the story of Jesus coming back to life, it's not like a sad story with a good ending. It's not like John 11. You know that story where Lazarus, who's been in the tomb for four days, and Jesus comes late, and Mary and Martha are distraught, and Jesus performs a miracle, and Lazarus comes back to life. It's not really like that at all. Easter is not a happy ending. It's, it's the start of something. Easter is not a happy ending. It's the start of something. Good Christian theology and understanding tells us that Easter is not the end of a bad week, but it is the beginning of new creation. That is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. That there's this master plan of God or this work of God in the world to redeem and to restore the project of making everything new so that God is all in all. This is made possible by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the corruption and decay of our world, and the death of defeat itself. So it's not like Lazarus, in effect, Lazarus kind of resuscitated back to life. Lazarus went on to die again, just like we will die. But the hope of Easter today, Redeemer, the resurrection of Jesus, is that it's not a happy ending, but it is the start. It was the start of something altogether different that has happened and is happening in our world today. God has resurrected Jesus not back to life, but into new life. Easter is the start. Easter Sunday and the resurrection of Christ is the beginning of new creation. This is why it is so good news. In the passage we just read, the Apostle Paul calls the risen Jesus the very first fruits of this whole new world. Think of it like sprouts sprouting up. Christ is the man in the middle of history who's broken into the world as we know it, is the first fruits of a new thing that God is doing in the world. And the way that this creation begins, this new creation, is the way that it's meant to continue. The project only started then, it's not over. The resurrection of Christ is the model of how we, you, me, this whole world, the very cosmos itself, is being made new and raised to resurrection life. This is a whole new category. This is not simply resuscitation or life after death. This is about God's renewal project. And you wouldn't think it because we spend 40 days as Christians leading up to the cross, 40 days of Lent, and then we spend one morning here on a Sunday and we celebrate and then we crack on with a holiday or whatever. 
I was listening to N.T. Wright this week, and he suggested perhaps we should have 40 days of fasting, or sorry, 40 days of feasting after the 40 days of fasting to really hit home how important Easter Sunday resurrection is to our story. This is our story, and it is a big deal because this is not the happy ending after a bad week. It's the very start of new creation itself. This is good Christian theology. God is remaking this world new, and that project started with Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we too will rise as Christ has risen, bodily resurrection, actually living on this earth in a whole new creation. What does that look like? A place of goodness, a place of justice, a place of shalom, a place of peace where the world is put to rights. The Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, which really means standing up. And here's the key point, I guess. In the first century, you would never talk about life after death using that word, resurrection. Resurrection was not something that in first century minds happened when you die. It just wasn't. In fact, the gospel, as it's got away from its Jewish roots, has grown that misunderstanding that resurrection is what happen, happens after we die. We go somewhere else to be with Jesus. The Jewish vision of God's future, the Jewish vision of God's future was never that people would leave this earth and end up somewhere else in the company of God. And that is simply not the vision of the early Christians either. The vision of this world's future is us being made new and whole. This earth we live in, the restoration of shalom here on earth. And the whole New Testament and early Christian writers would have taught that, that what God did on Easter Sunday morning, God will do in our lives on this earth and raise us into a whole new future. And this is an amazing thing, Redeemer. It's an amazing vision. It's what it means to be Christian. I want to talk about two points the first, what I've been talking about essentially, that the resurrection is firstly proclamation. What I've been doing so far today, proclaiming this whole new world in Christ. This is a vision that does not deny the world and its brokenness. It doesn't deny the bad week that you've just had. It does not deny all the things that we see that are wrong. It also doesn't try to pull us out of it or escape it like evacuation theology. But with the cross, the whole Easter story says God loves you and me and this world. It is good. It is very good. It is his creation. And he sees it as worth saving, rescuing, and redeeming. Frederick Nietzsche, of all people, said, only where there are graves are there resurrections. This is good news in a world ridden with death and decay. This is good news. God loves this world and wants to redeem it in a world dominated by illness and viruses. This is good news in a world dominated by despots and dictators. This is good news in a world where imperial rule still raises its ugly head. This is good news in a world where countries are invaded where people are exploited, where injustice is everywhere. This is good news for a world without hope. This is good news 
for a city that has hotels with refugees locked up for months on end. This is good news for you and me and everyone in our city and on our world, that God cares about this world here and now, that this world is not going to hell in a handbasket, that God loves his creation and is redeeming it to make it new. And here's the kicker, we're invited to be part of that story. How is this done? Through the cross, let me start there. Brian Zahn says we could spend a lifetime studying the meaning of the cross. It is so many things, but the cross starts this project. The cross is many things, but it is this. The cross itself is the pinnacle of God's self-disclosure. It's divine solidarity with all human suffering. It's the shaming of principalities and powers. It's the point from which the Satan is driven out of this world. It's the death by which Christ conquers our greatest enemy, death itself. It's the abolition of war and violence. It's the supreme demonstration of the love of God. It's the refounding of the world on an axis, not of power, but of love. It's the enduring model of co-suffering love that we are to follow, the example. And it is the eternal moment in which all sin is forgiven. And in the mix of that, the tyrant's best weapon, whether that tyrant, whatever country that tyrant is from, the best and most strongest weapon that a tyrant has is death. And it was that very weapon that Christ defeated on the cross, death in its own grave. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? So the celebration today is that Easter is not a happy ending. It is the beginning. It is not the end. It is the start of God's creation project. Death is not the end. New life comes after death. Death is in its grave and so the cross leads us into this world of resurrection and the other side of death comes life. This is a new world that God is making out of the old. And here is what it looks like. Our world put to rights. Everything that we see that is wrong made right. Everywhere where there is disunity, unity. Everywhere where there is division, unity. Everywhere where there is brokenness, healing, and wholeness. The scriptures describe this as a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A place where righteousness and justice roll like a river. Where the first are last and the last are first. Where the poor and the marginalized and the outcasts are liberated. This is a world where there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. This is a world of goodness, of peace, of justice. This is a world where nations are not at war, but they are on their knees before the king around the throne of Christ, where the lion and the lamb lie together. Easter is the proclamation of Christ as risen king, and the new creation that God is making in this world. And here's point number two that flows out of that. That Easter is not only a proclamation, but it's also an invitation. Easter's a proclamation of that new world, 
It's also an invitation. It's an invitation to you and to me, to us, to practice resurrection, to find our place in that story, to follow Christ into that new world, to participate in that ongoing restoration project. N.T. Wright says that the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ and you're now invited to belong to it. For me, the church itself is one of the evidences and indicators that Christ is resurrected. The church is many things. It is broken and ugly in a million ways. But the genius of church at the heart of it is an indicator to me that Christ has risen. None of us would be here in this room today. A community where there is, as I've said, neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free, because we are one in Christ Jesus. The result of the good news is that there is a new family of God, a new community of new creation, a community that's cracking on with embodying that vision right here in the old world, an enclave of the kingdom, if you will. Why else would we be here today with people that we kind of like but wouldn't be here for any other reason but the fact that, as Stanley Harwas calls, the church is a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. The church is a place where God is forming a family out of strangers. And an indicator of the resurrection can be found all across this land and many lands in our world where God is forming with bunches of strangers, new creation communities. By the animating power of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, a family in the name of Jesus. And when this new community worships King Jesus, like we have been this morning, that worship is a defiant and subversive rebellion against the principalities and powers of our world. A place where we reject the systems of the world that seek to divide us. Everything that you encounter during your week that seeks to divide you from the other, whatever that may be, is a symptom or an apparatus of the system of the world. And God is liberating us from that. A system that seeks to divide us, to keep us down, to define us by our productivity to the system, to exploit or to commodify our worth and value for the sake of what other people want or scheme. A world that seeks to conform us through daily spiritual formation in a million ways, making us human beings made in the very image of God into nothing more than flesh bags of needs and wants that can be marketed to and sold anything on a cheap promise for momentary satisfaction targeted algorithmically processed as a number on a list making consumers exploiting all of our needs. The system that we live in is a diminishment of the imago day in every single one of us. The system of this world diminishes the God-given flame in every single one of you. It tarnishes the image of God that you are. It shatters and breaks and fractures us in a million ways. That which God has said is beautiful and is worth dignity and is worth worth and value. That that the God, the creator, ascribes as being good, his good creation, you, me, and this world. 
the system of the world has fractured it. And in the midst of this old broken creation and the unjust systems of suspicion and division and opposition and oppression, the light of the resurrected Christ shines brightly in the form of a bunch of strangers that God is making into a family by the resurrected power of the Spirit of Christ, united in love for one another, filled with hope to take up the invitation to practice resurrection here and now in our lives, in our towns, and in our cities, to bring forth new creation with all its goodness and justice and beauty, and to bring it forth more and more and more, and to kick the doors open and extend welcome to those who are not welcomed. Another term for this is the kingdom of God, and Jesus taught about it in his life. And another way of saying all that I've just said is found in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring the shalom, the justice, the goodness, the welcome, the grace, the liberation of heaven, the divine realm, and bring it to this earth, the new creation project. N.T. Wright says that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. And here's two ways that I think we could do this, and there's a million other ways that you'll have in your mind, but I got this from N.T. Wright. He says that we, if we're to believe, if we're to take up the invitation to practice resurrection, if we are to believe that in the end God will make everything that is not right, right, then the invitation is that we should do justice in positive, creative, healing, restorative ways. That if we are to believe that God raised, raised Jesus from the dead, then we cannot hold back from doing justice at every opportunity in our world. In the power of the Spirit, we must name and shame the injustices that are rampant and work for their abolition. We must take care that in our personal lives, in the lives of our churches, that injustice is rooted out as far as it can be. And only when we do this do we make any sense of this God's new creation project at all, or Jesus' resurrection at all, the putting right of creation. So do justice. Another way can be spoken about in terms of beauty. If we believe that God made a beautiful world and he called it good and wants to remake it the way that it should be, spoiled in a million ways, that God has done the most beautiful thing imaginable in the story of Christ himself, then beauty is at the heart of this story. If we believe that in Jesus, God has come, then we should release our artists and our writers and our poets to make beautiful things, to devote their best efforts to setting it forth, to create wonder and awe in us, in our churches, in our personal lives, in our wider communities where we have influence, we should foster and celebrate the arts 
music, dance, drama, poetry, sculpture, and whatever else we can. If the church colludes with ugliness, it is not a church that recognizes God's good creation. If the church doesn't give opportunity for the artistic gifts of its members, it denies the resurrection. We should not be surprised that people struggle to find it hard to believe if we do collude with ugliness and injustice. But a new world in which creation itself is renewed and will be renewed until, as it's described, the very glory of God covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. The resurrection is proclamation of a new world. The resurrection is an invitation to practice resurrection every day. I would convey that it's through justice and beauty are two ways that we can do that, and you may have many other ways. That's the invitation to us today, to celebrate the life of Christ and to proclaim it, but also to walk out today into our world and to live it out to allow resurrection to break into our lives and break out of our lives. By the power of the Spirit, Redeemer, our calling is to be a resurrection people. We look back to Christ, we follow him forward, and we bring the signs of resurrection here and now. I'll finish with this quote from N.C. Wright. People who believe in the resurrection, in God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last, are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. I'd invite you to stand. I want to invite John and the band to come up. And we're going to gather around this table behind me, which has the bread and the wine. If you're new to Redeemer, this is a practice that we have every week around the table of grace. This is, table is not the table of Redeemer. This is the table of Jesus. He creates the guest list, as we like to say. And so there is no qualification to be at this table other than you want to be at the table with Christ. But this is his table. The bread rep represents his body. The wine represents his blood poured out for us. And we come to this table knowing that our needs can be met today but I hope also knowing and tasting of new creation, of resurrection life, of hope, even in some of your own lives where there's death and deadness and brokenness, in our own lives where there's disunity, confusion, chaos, disappointment. May the Spirit of Christ breathe his life. May the Spirit of Christ resurrect May the Spirit of Christ be with us. John's going to lead. During the song, come, get a bread, get a wine. Don't take it. Take it back to your table, but don't consume it at that point. And then I will come back after the song, and I'll lead us as we commune together, and we can take the bread and wine then. John, thanks. Thanks.